You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome into your Tuesday edition of Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Matt Miguez here. Happy Tuesday. Got a lot to talk about. James Mesh, the producer extraordinaire slash co-host with the most. I would venture to say he's on cloud seven today after his I'd, Celtics. I'd, I'd say about five. How did you only jump up one cloud? Because I went back down one or two from game three. Oh, God. That's true. That's true. Okay, so cloud five. So so you're halfway up the mountain. Yeah, we're halfway there. You're getting there. You're getting there. Um, Man, there's a lot going on in, in the world of sports today. I mean, we, we've got the NFL talking about canceling the Pro Bowl. Sam Darnold says that he could be one of the NFL's best quarterbacks. Next joke. Ryan Tannehill vows to be a great teammate to Malik Willis. That's cap. I mean, we got a lot going on. We got a lot to get into, not to mention the SEC baseball tournament, the Sunbelt baseball tournament, the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs. We've got the PGA, all that and more. Game hotline is always 706-0111 here in Acadiana. You can watch the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Today, our downtown rising trivia question of the day. Again, first person to call 706-0111 with the correct answer will get two free tickets to the show. Who was the first Astros player to win MLB Rookie of the Year? Who was the first Astros player to win Rookie of the Year? You call in 706-0111. Give me the correct answer. First person to do so gets two free tickets, only one guess per day. So if you get the answer wrong, try again tomorrow because we still got three days of, of tickets to give away. So today's not your last opportunity. Today's not the last chance. If you get it wrong, don't worry. Try again tomorrow. Again, who was the first Astros player to win Rookie of the Year? So let's dive into some of these national headlines that I just kind of touched on. The NFL discussing the future of the Pro Bowl. They're getting they're getting to the point where this week's league meetings, they're talking about eliminating the tackle football game that is the Pro Bowl. There would still be Pro Bowl teams, like you would still be named a Pro Bowler, but and they might do the week where they do like the skills challenges and stuff like that, but the actual Pro Bowl game on Sunday might not happen anymore. Something interesting to look at, something because again, you know, the NFL has has even noted that 
the broadcast, the All Star Game has suffered. Players are backing out. They don't want to. Pl- they don't play if their team's in the Super Bowl. So th- there's a lot to look at there for for the league. And then Ryan Tannehill, this guy. So a couple a couple weeks ago, he was asked about Malik Willis and if he felt like he should be a mentor to him. And he said that he didn't feel like it was his job to mentor him. And to an extent, he's right. However, PR move, the semantics of it all didn't wasn't right, right? So now he comes back and says that he feels that his comments have been blown out of proportion. He vows that he will be a, quote, great teammate to Malik Willis. Willie, I don't know how. I don't know how sincere that is. Was that a move by Tannehill just to get the media and the fans off his back? Does he actually mean it? I mean, I guess we'll never really know. But on the surface, it seems like okay. You know, your comments got blown out of proportion. You got ridiculed for it. Now you got to find a way to take the heat off of you. Is this maybe his way of doing that? I guess we'll find out, you know, down the road. Looking at what's going down tonight in the world of sports, the Astros and the Guardians, the Astros will look to bounce back after the 5 to 1 loss last night to Cleveland. They will play at 7:10 and you can hear that one Right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Brian Lalima of Apollo HOU will join us at 530 to recap the week that was and preview the week that will be with all things Houston Astros. 8 o'clock tonight, Golden State, Dallas, Game 4. Can the Warriors sweep and clinch a spot in the NBA Finals? With the way South Miami and Boston's going, they might be vacationing for a little bit before the NBA Finals. We'll see what happens there. NHL playoffs, Game 4, Carolina and the Rangers, 2-1 to lead in favor of the Hurricanes. Can they widen that gap, make it 3-1, put even more pressure on the Blue Shirts? And then at 8.30, Calgary and Edmonton. Edmonton with a 2-1 lead, trying to get back to the Stanley Cup Finals and revive the history that is the Edmonton Oilers. Bring back the Wayne Gretzky days, if you will. And then there's another topic to get to that has to do with the Nick Saban-Jimbo Fisher drama indirectly. Eli Holstein, the brother of Caleb Holstein, who used to play at St. Thomas More has been playing at Zachary, right outside of Baton Rouge, four-star recruit. He was committed to Texas A&M, decommitted from A&M in March, and he's now going to Alabama. Nick Saban, again, coming into South Louisiana and poaching recruits. Not necessarily poaching, that's the wrong word. But finding ways to get recruits in LSU's backyard. It's impressive, really. Um, And then, like I said, it indirectly adds to the Jimbo 
versus Nick Saban drama. I'm intrigued to see, you know, how that's going to go. Is it just going to be water under the bridge and both of them move on? Is it going to come back up again in July at SEC media days or come up again at the SEC coaches meetings in Destin in a couple weeks? We'll see. Poll question of the day on Twitter. What Saints storyline are you watching the most with OTAs starting today? Are you wanting to get a look at the new rookies? Chris Olave, Trevor Penning, Jordan Jackson, DeMarco Jackson, Elante Taylor. Are you more excited about Jarvis and the Honey Badger? Are you interested to see Jameis Winston's progress? You know, back from injury, might be doing some light work on the sidelines at OTAs. Or is it something else? Let us know. Twitter and Facebook, at game underscore Louisiana. Let us know what you think. Send us a comment. Send us a message. We'll discuss it on the air. But James, you were you were tied up with something when I was going over some of the storylines. Earlier when I mentioned Tannehill being a great teammate to Malik Willis, you said that, that was cap. Yeah. Why? I don't know. It just feels like deep down, maybe it was blown out of proportion and he actually meant to say it another way. But I've just, I don't know, just the way he said it the first time, it was like, not not just as the quote itself, but actually hearing him saying, he's like, that's not my job. I mean, if you learn something from me, that's cool, but. I mean, I don't feel like it's my job to, like, right help the help the young QB itself. It's like, dude, uh, I don't know. I could he could he easily turn a page? Yes, and actually legitimately help him. Yeah, but the fact that he had to go through this backlash, it was like, this should be a given. Come on. No, you're you're right. You were not wrong. Um, and then on on the other side of things. In, in terms of, of national headlines. What do you think about the Pro Bowl? Oh, I, I, I want it gone. There, there's no, to me, if you're not even going to play, if you're not even going to do wrap-ups at this point, why are you even playing? Now, do you want them to do it how they're talking about doing it, where they're going to have the week, where they do like the skills challenges and all oh. of that? Keep keep that. And like you yeah, don't keep play like the, the game. Yeah, like if you want to do like the the kicker's tic tac toe and the dodgeball right. and the like wide receiver QB challenge and the QB throwing to the different targets that are sometimes moving. Right, and just like don't all play the different the, games. Just that don't done, play the actual cool. football game. Yeah, but the game itself, if you're not gonna like le- legitimately play a football game, then don't play it. Now, what if they did like a all star flag football thing? Would you be into that? That'd be interesting. Like kind of like they do the skill challenges, kind of goofing off, play a game where they play flag football. I could live with that because now we know, okay, you have to pull the flag. Otherwise, sometimes it's like you can legitimately tackle. That's kind of the point since we are playing playing tackle football. Right. But they sometimes will do, even if you lay two or one hands, they're just like, yeah, he's, he's down. We'll, we'll right, let it right. go. So it's like I need more definition. Yeah. So if you want to do flag, I could live with that. But if you're just going to keep it as a as a tack, 
supposed to tackle football, but they're really just right. maybe wrapping up or maybe putting a hand on the jersey. Because I, I get the point of not wanting to get the players hurt, and that's why you you see guys like if their team's playing in the Super Bowl the next week, you see guys not playing in it. Well, the, for I don't that think purpose. I don't think they well they I don't think they can. They can't play in it. Yeah, if you're in the Super Bowl the next huh. week, I don't think I don't think you're. Able I always to. always thought the reason that they didn't play in it was just because they didn't want to get hurt right before the Super Bowl, and also the fact that they are preparing to play in the Super Bowl the next week. So if That's you're true. if you're going out to what used to be Hawaii, but then they've also moved it to Orlando and other places and everywhere else. Right? Yeah. So it, if you're just gonna if let's say the Super Bowl like it was in L.A. if and I think what was last year's in like Nashville. Or something, or was uh, it? Well, let let's say Orlando, right? If you're preparing to go to L.A., but you first got to go Orlando to go stay there for pretty much the week to do the Pro Bowl week, then what's the point? That's fair. That's true. That is a uh, that is a good point. All right, so we've been we've been talking about how the SEC baseball tournament. Might be in some trouble, right? With all the weather? Right. Yeah. 27 minutes ago. Due to inclement weather, game two will start at a time to be determined. <laughs> those so now, are, those are great. Game two is South Carolina, Florida. Is if, if I'm if I'm reading this bracket correctly, yeah. South Carolina, Florida. They are in a weather delay currently. Now the now announcement goes on. We expect a significant delay. Game four, which is your game between Kentucky and Auburn, which LSU plays the winner of, will not be played tonight and has been moved to tomorrow, May 25th, at a time to be determined. It's day one of the tournament, and you're already having to move games to the next day. Buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be a long week. Oh, man. That... Wow, that gives me flashbacks to the 2018 Sunbelt Tournament at Russo Park, which was a nightmare. If you want to see the Houston Astros in person... Want to listen up? The game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with our latest Astros Weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Chicago White Sox on Saturday, June 18th, and you could be there. All you got to do is register in the game clubhouse. It's super simple 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. Click the clubhouse rewards tab, and you could score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. What more do you need? Astros Weekend Getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, Lay Meridian Houston Downtown, and The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Going to take a time out, and when we return on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh, Mesh will give you his insights on the NBA playoffs and his Celtics evening the series. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. 
Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana sports station. Met Miguez, James Mesh. The Boston Celtics taking down the Miami Heat last night, 102-82, to behind 31 from Jason Tatum. And then they also were given 12 from Robert Williams, 13 from Derek White, 12 from Jalen Brown, and then 14 off the bench from Peyton Pritchard. James Mesh, how do you feel? It was a solid win. I, w- I would say it was a solid win. You, you saw good defense the whole way around, I would say. I mean, Miami didn't score their first basket until 322 left in the first quarter. They were 0 for 14 to start the game. I mean, you can't ask for more than that. They they started the game 18 to 1 before that first basket. And they were up 29 to 11 at the end of the first quarter. So here here's a couple things that I took away from this game, and we can dissect this. Mm-hmm. Miami starters combined for 18 points. Yeah. That's never going to happen again. It shouldn't. It should cuz I don't I don't even know how that happened. Here's another thing that's not going to happen again. And I I say this with a cringe because I love this guy. Victor Oladipo is not going to score 23 again in the series. Probably not. Uh I think it was just the fact that it was such an off shooting night for everyone else. It was like, okay, well Somebody's got to at least score a decent Which, amount. Let's, so let's let's talk about that. Why do you think Victor Oladipo is struggling so much? Victor? Yeah. Well, is it the injuries and I, he's just not the same? Well, I was gonna say. Well, that's why he you you saw him start to become that star superstar. You you felt like he was starting to get to that point in Indiana, and then I forget where he was traded to. But he suffered a really bad injury, and he just hasn't been the same, and he's slowly progressing, and since he's not that guy, what we thought he was going to like start to become in Indiana, he had to take less money and become more of a role player and a sixth man for Miami. And I mean, he started to become better. You're starting to see more confidence out of him, and you see him starting to play better. Yep. So that's why you saw that spark of 23 from him by himself while everyone else couldn't put the ball in the ocean. Yeah, and, and Duncan Robinson had a had a decent night as well, which again, which which does concern me because you never want to let a shooter like start to get confidence and start to get reps during a blowout because yes, you're going to win that game, but what about the rest of the series? Because 5 6, six 5 6 and 7 if you let him start to get his shot going again when he hasn't really played any minutes the first four games, or at least the first three to start off, he might have played 10 to 15 the first three to combine. So if you let him start to get a shot and get a rhythm, he could be the difference maker for the Miami Heat going into 5, 6, and 7. Yeah. Yeah, no, he he definitely could. Um Looking at the Celtics stats, again, you know, you got 31 out of Jason Tatum. Still not shooting great from behind the arc. Yeah. 
I mean, it, and and really no. I mean, the team went eight for thirty-four. That's not great. No, not not a good, not that's very not good. But that's that's also another thing is the reason why I say it was a solid win and not a good or great win was because you played the really good defense. You blocked eleven shots as a team. Horford yep. had four, but offensively, if they weren't drawing a foul or if the refs weren't calling fla- foul and the Celtics were going to shoot free throws. You shot, and going 30, to the, you shot 38 free throws last night. Compared to Miami's, I think, 14. 14? Yeah. So if they weren't taking free throws, it, it was a struggle until the fourth quarter when Miami finally was just like, whatever, uh, we're done. And you finally got to see Pepe hit some shots. He hit a deep 29-footer from the left wing, which, I mean, he does that a lot, but still, just to see him do it, it's, it's great. But it, it was a struggle. And... That's that's what intrigues me about five and six at least, because seven it's all all bets are off. But five and six, we've seen it go back and forth. We've seen Miami then Boston, Miami then Boston. But if you if you look at it with Boston, their offense the last two games have been shoddy in my eyes because game three they couldn't take care of the ball to save their lives, and then this game they couldn't put the ball in the basket in play during live ball. They, it, it took a lot of free throws to help like keep keep it to a 20-point lead most of the game. So I'm, what I'm thinking is maybe the, the script gets flipped. Everyone's expecting Miami to go back to Miami and then dominate in rebuttal. But I feel like it may be the opposite. I think Boston wins in Miami, finally has a good offensive game. Miami's now down 3-2. They're desperate. And then we go back to Boston, and they seal one there. And it goes back 3-3, and now we have a game seven. It's going back to Miami, and now all bets are off. Yeah. That, that's, not a, that's not a fair, that's not a far-fetched conversation. Because if you notice, when, whenever it's, whenever people or like a group or a majority kind of have the same idea like I look at the Bucks, for example, when it came to Bucks Saints during Sunday Night Football, everyone except Drew Brees, eighty like eighty percent of the nation was like, yeah, it's Bucks, like eighty ninety yep. percent, NFL Network, CBS, NBC, Fox, everyone was saying the Bucks are winning tonight, and then the lone Drew Brees says Saints, and when you see that, usually it kind of goes the opposite. So the fact that a large majority of the people are like, yeah, it's Miami's going to take game five, Boston takes game six, and then who knows what's going to happen game seven. I feel like maybe it goes the opposite way. Yeah. So you still see Miami winning this series? Or do you see Boston winning this series? I would have to, I'm slightly leaning Boston because other than the first quarter in game three and I think it was the first or second quarter in game one every other quarter Boston has won so other than the huge skewed quarters to begin games one and three Boston has won every other quarter scoring wise so I feel like you have to give the edge to the team that usually scores per period so I, I would have to lean Boston in that in Miami will definitely rebuttal at some point, and they will be able to punch back and get a win to to either take the three to two lead or tie it at three. But 
I ultimately got to give it to Boston because they have more weapons. And even with, they can, they're they still able to win even if Marcus Smart or Al Horford or Rob Williams are out. Yep. And then on the other side, you know, looking at Golden State and Dallas, game four tonight in Dallas again, you know, we, we talked about this a lot, Luca really putting the Mavs on his back the last couple of weeks. Do, do you see them scratching out a win, or do you think that Steph Curry and you know Jordan Poole and, and the Splash Brothers are just too much? It's hard for me to see the Mavs lose in four after they were able to claw and fight back against the one-seed Suns. To, for, for them to go down in four would utterly shock me, to say the least. Like the way they're playing, I remember I was listening to Jason Kidd the other night, and he was talking post game, and he said nobody on our roster has ever played this far. So this is this is new to them. This is this is them still trying to figure things out. I think Warrior. I think the Warriors will mess around. They'll. Luka will still play good. They'll do enough to get the win. And then they'll go back to Golden State Game 5 and then just take it. And then just end it there. I think Game 4, the fact that they've come close a few times now, and it just took Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole and Steph and Clay all to just kind of combine to be too much and just that third quarter frenzy was just too much for Dallas. Dallas has been really good while they're at home. And they're playing desperate. They're down 3-0. So this team is too good in my eyes to let to be swept right. in my eyes. Yeah, I could see that. I, but I, I see it ending in five. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I see it ending in five because Warriors love ending stuff at home. Yep. Agreed. Before we take a timeout, the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to upgrade your experience for Downtown Rising on June 4th. It's the ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience. How would you like to score a pair of VIP passes and a chance to meet the Cold War kids? All you have to do is register in the Game Rewards Club, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to win those VIP passes for Downtown Rising featuring the Cold War kids on Saturday, June 4th at Park International. The Ultimate Downtown Rising VIP Experience is presented by Social Entertainment, Raider Solutions, Louisiana Rage and Cajuns, and The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We'll take a time out. Chris Murphy, PGA Tour writer, will join us to recap Justin Thomas' playoff victory at the PGA Championship, and we'll look ahead to the Charles Schwab Challenge this weekend. You're listening to Crunch Time with me, Gaz and Mesh, on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Had a rough day at work? Got lady problems? Not to worry, because you have two wingmen right here. You can be my wingman anytime. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. 
Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh. It's 36 minutes after 4 o'clock on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. It was a very entertaining PGA Championship down in Southern Hills Country Club in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They now shift gears to Texas and the Charles Schwab Challenge. Here to talk about that as well as recapping the PGA Championship is Mr. Chris Murphy, a con- a contributing writer for the PGA Tour. Chris, good afternoon, man. Thanks for taking the time. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Thanks for having me on. Got a, yeah, like I said, exciting uh, PGA and, and an exciting stretch coming up, too. Yeah, you know, you getting in, we're getting into the back half of the tour for 2022, but let's start with with the PGA Championship. You know, Justin Thomas started off with a with a good week. At the end of the day, Friday he was six under, and then you know had the rough Saturday going four over, shooting a 74. But then, you know, he never really counted himself out. He responded again with another three under day, put himself. I obviously had some help with with the top five on the leaderboard, basically for lack of better words, collapsing. Uh ends up getting into a playoff and winning it. You know, just talk about just JT's resilience and the way that he was able to handle the the pressure of, of this situation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean he's he's been tough as nails. I mean, quite honestly, He's gotten the uh, short end of the stick a, a couple times this year. He came out of the bad weather draw at the players um, and really showed one of the best rounds of the year there in the, the toughest conditions um, and then did it again this past week at the PGA, put himself um, in contention on the, the tough side of the Thursday and Friday. You know, and, and I think he grinded so much that, that – he was a little bit worn down in, in trying to put it together on Saturday, but he did just enough Saturday to keep his name in contention. He was seven shots back, but you look at those final two groups, and they were all four players that not only hadn't won majors, but hadn't won on the PGA Tour yet. So I think he knew going into Sunday that if he could put a round together, um, he could you know kind of just post a number and, and sit around and, and watch and see how those guys handled it, and it and ended up that uh, he came up to them, and they they came back um, as as they went down the stretch, and and he was able to get himself into a playoff, and and really just you know shots that you saw hit on eighteen and going into thirteen, seventeen again showed the world class that he is to be able to to step up, especially on on eighteen the shots that he needed, and then again on the 17 tee box in that playoff to hit that green um, from the tee and really just put the pressure on Zalatoris was uh, just an, an incredible display of golf. Yeah, that, that drive on 17, I remember sitting there watching it, and, and I looked at my fiance because she asked me, she was like, what do you think he's going to do? And I said, I think he's going to lay up and then you know get it on the green in two and then put in for birdie. And I was way wrong because he put it on the green in one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he and I, I think you know, really watching him and and the relationship that he and Bones have, um, and seeing and being able to hear them kind of work through the shots, um, it's it, it was a lot of fun to watch uh, down the stretch on on Sunday for sure. Yeah, no no doubt. And going back to the to the top five in the leaderboard, Mito Pereira was leading, 
you know, all day. He he had the lead up until the 18th hole where he double bogeyed. Do you think the the pressure of the moment got to him, or or was it the weather conditions? What do you think it was? Uh, on on 18, I, I think it was it was definitely the pressure. He seemed to just kind of bail out on whatever shot he had in mind on that 18th tee box. You could tell the the way he finished was not the swing that we saw all day. It was not. Um, you know, conditions or anything like that. I, I think it was it was simply the moment where he kind of had a, a shot in mind, and then halfway through it, he kind of bailed out on it. Um, and it, it's you know, it's really too bad that it, it cost him the championship and you know the opportunity to get into the playoff and everything like that. Um, but he's a talented young young player. I think he'll be back. Um, you know, he was somebody that got on tour by um, virtue of a three-win promotion last year on the Corn Ferry Tour, so he knows how to win, um, and, and I think we will see him back on on the stage on the PGA Tour with a chance to win again, and, and hopefully he can come through in, in that next instance. Chatting with Chris Murphy from the PGA Tour, looking at Justin Thomas's victories, it was the PGA Championship was his 15th win on tour, and it was his second major both of them coming from the PGA Championship. Looking at it, Chris, it was his fourth win in a playoff. You think JT likes playoffs? <laughs> he, he's not. He's not afraid to stare anybody down. That's for sure. If he if he gets in that position, he he certainly uh, feels he has the leg up and has shown the ability to close in that scenario for sure. Now, the other storyline that that a lot of people are talking about is obviously Tiger Woods. Uh, just the polarizing figure that Tiger is. Everybody sure. follows everything he does. Uh, he decided to with, withdraw from the tournament after Saturday, which I thought was the right decision. My question is this. Do you do you think Tiger could ever return to winning form on the PGA Tour? I, I think we will see him contend again. Whether or not we see him win, you know, that that's really tough to say. Uh, you know, the margins are just as we saw on, on Sunday, the tour is so talented um, that that's saying for sure that somebody that's been through as much as he's been through is going to win again is a really tough ask. I do think that we'll see him on the top page of a leaderboard on, on Sunday at, at some point again. Um, and it may be in a couple of months at St. Andrews at a course that he knows well. i I would not be surprised at all to see him skip the U.S. Open, and I think it would make a lot of sense for him from a recovery standpoint. Um, St. Andrews is, has always been a historic place for him where he's won, where he knows that course in and out. Um, it's you know not as difficult in terms of uh, the, the walk and the spread of the course and everything like that. Um, I don't know that he'll contend there, but I think that may be the next time we see him on the course. Now let's look ahead to the Charles Schwab Challenge this weekend at the Colonial in Fort Worth. This is Jordan Spieth's playground, right? You know, eight eight top 15s at this course, a trio of runner-ups. He won it in 2016. However, the, the thing that, you know, people are kind of hindering on is the fact that he did finish 34th at the PGA. So he might be a little down on, on himself right now. What do you think Jordan Spieth has to do to you know, feel more comfortable at home and get a, get another win on the PGA Tour card. I mean, I I think this is the perfect place for him to go. Um, I think this is a a track where he's 
beatable. He doesn't need to go out and, and learn the course. He doesn't need to go out there and, and do anything uh, out of the ordinary. As you said, this is a place where he has um, just done anything and everything that he wanted to through throughout his career. Um, anytime he's in Texas, frankly, he's he's seems to be in contention. Um, and really, if you look back at his week, he didn't have that that of a week. He he gained over eight shots, tee to green. Uh, he was really strong, ball striking, which is when when speeds lose his game off the tee or on approach, that's when I get concerned. I expect the putting to bounce back, um, and and that's really where he fell short last week is, is he just couldn't make enough putts to put himself into contention. Um, and so I, I really expect him to be in contention this weekend to be there right at the top of the leaderboard down the stretch on Sunday and, and would not be surprised one bit uh, if he turns right around and, and grabs a win next week uh, or this coming week at, at Colonial Country Club. Chatting with Chris Murphy of the PGA Tour. Who are some other golfers, Chris, that, that you like for the Charles Schwab Challenge? I mean, Scotty Scheffler also being from the DFW era area. You know, obviously Sam Burns is having a good, good a good year. Who who else do you like to contend in this tournament? Yeah, for for me at the top, I, I think it's it's Beef, and and I'd probably go to Colin Morikawa. Um, he has. The, the similar type of skill set. This is a place where you don't have to be overly long. Your your benefit is more being in the fairway, um, and then it's a, a an iron contest. And um, I don't think anyone would would shy away from Morikawa in in that type of setup. He's got a runner up finish here from a couple of years ago. Um, he too knows the course, and and frankly, um, he is one that we haven't heard a lot from this year. It, it's you know it, it's becoming time where where we should expect to see him step up and, and contend and maybe find a win. Um, and he too is, is one that, um, you know, it, it all kind of gear going. Uh, he can have those people and can run away from a field, even, uh, with the, the number here. Um, so that, that's where I would go next, uh, you know, on down the board, I think an, a name to keep an eye on that has also had success. And, um, one thing that we'll hear is the colonial country club, you you want to have some experience and some success. A lot of the winners in the past have have posted prior top tens prior to winning, um, and one former winner here is Justin Rose. Um, he kind of put a lot of things together, finished even par t thirteen at the PGA, um, and this is a course that at Colonial that he's had a lot of success. He's down down the board quite a bit um, from a betting perspective. Um, as he hasn't had a great season, but I really like the form that we saw coming into a week where where he likes the course. He would be one that I'd take a little longer shot stand on. And then the last question I have for you, Chris, is Bryson DeChambeau has withdrawn from the Charles Schwab Challenge. Again, mm-hmm. you know, that wrist injury still playing a factor in his game. When do you think we see him back at 100% and and, and back on the tour? Um, hundred percent is is hard to say. Um, that be next week more. I don't. It's not realistic. It certainly is not realistic to expect him to be hundred percent. Um, I think that if he can, you know, get some rounds in, get back to where he's feeling comfortable, um, in the recovery from that surgery. 
um, and and maybe by the middle of the summer put himself in in position to start playing his game again. Um, th- that could be a a realistic target for him. Um, but right now, you know, even if he shows up, say next week, you just can't expect a whole lot from him. Um, he's a guy that you know relies on his body to do to do a ton um, in, in causing more torque than probably anybody on tour with the way that he plays the game. Um, so it's really hard to ask him to be uh, or expect him to be a hundred percent really anytime in the in the next you know handful of tournaments that he may play. Chris Murphy of the PGA Tour and the Action Network joins us on Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh. Chris, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, really great insight in on the PGA Tour, and hopefully we can talk to you soon, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. There he goes, Chris Murphy. Before we take a timeout, Next Home Cutting Edge Realty is holding their annual Loop Day on June 11th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. The charity event will benefit Canine Companions, which is a nonprofit that gives to those with disability dogs. The event will be located at Bollier Park Dog Park at 411 West Bluebird Drive here in Lafayette. A food truck and Kona Ice Snow Cone stand will be on site, plus music, treats, and prizes. All proceeds will once again be donated to the Canine Companions. Next home Cutting Edge Realty's Loop Day on June 11th. Take a time out when we return, wrap up hour number one, and bring you hour number two. Crunch time with me, guys, and mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Welcome back to Crunch Time with me, guys, and Mesh. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Met me, guys, James Mesh. The Saints have signed a new tight end. I'm going to try to pronounce this name, and we'll see how it goes. Kahel Kuakalani, Michael Wodehouse Waring. Kahale for short. Uh, played college ball at San Diego State. Was drafted by the Texans in the third round of the 2019 NFL Draft. He is now a member of the New Orleans Saints. In his career, he has played in nine games has caught three passes for 35 yards and no touchdowns. So I would imagine this is depth. But we'll see. I mean, who knows? They might they might see something in him that, that a lot of people don't. So we'll we'll see how that goes. By the way, congratulations to Mitch Parati for winning the Downtown Rising trivia question of the day. The correct answer is Jeff Bagwell was your Rookie of the Year in 1991. James, you had something on Victor Oladipo that we needed to clarify. Yes, so he was drafted by the Orlando Magic in 2013. He was then traded in 2016 
or he signed. I forget which one it was, but he moved on to the OKC Thunder for the year. I think that that's whenever Russ had his triple double season and got MVP. Next year, that's when he got traded to Indiana. Played there for the next three years. Then went to Toronto in 2020. Went back to Indianapolis. Or Indiana. And then played for Houston in 2020 as well. So he played for both teams. And then finished off in 2020. And Miami has been there ever since. Yeah, you know, it's... So he, he started off in Orlando... Then went to OKC. Then went to Indiana. He didn't start in Indiana. Yeah, ever since he got hurt in Indiana, he's uh, he's bounced around from team to team, and uh, just never really been able to find his footing. Before we end our number one NHL updates, Tampa Bay sweeps Florida with a two nothing win last night. Both goals coming in the third period. Andre Vasilevsky just dominant again in net. For Tampa Bay, they will move on to the Eastern Conference Finals. In the Western Conference game last night, the Colorado Avalanche score four goals in the second to win 6-3 to three over the St. Louis Blues. They take a 3-1 to one lead in that series. Tonight's games, again, Carolina and the Rangers. Carolina leads the series 2-1, looking to make it 3-1. That's at 6 o'clock. And then at 8.30, Calgary and Edmonton. Can Edmonton use their young talent in Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl to take a 3-1 lead in that series. We'll take a timeout right here. Hour number one, come and gone. Hour number two, don't go anywhere. It's going to be just as good. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Our number two of two. Crunch Time, Miguez and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. James, how you feeling? You you good over there, man? Yeah, I'm chilling. You good? Chilling like a villain. All right. Yeah. Hey, I'm I'm gonna tell you this. Okay. Um, here's my dark horse for the Charles Schwab challenge this weekend. Okay. Watch out for Rory McIlroy. Ooh, coming back with a vengeance. Watch out for Rory McIlroy. Rory finished in the top ten of the PGA Championship. He looked like he got back to his old ways on the golf course. I, I think he's got a serious shot to make some noise. So you're saying put 100 on FanDuel right now? I don't know if I'd put that much. <laughs> Maybe 10. 10? Okay. I mean, but you see, I, I'm not the one to ask about that because I'm stingy with my money to a certain extent. I would never place $100 on a bet. Unless it was one of those gimme bets like they did opening weekend when it was like, oh, um, plus 100 odds if the Pelicans score a point. Like the max bet was 50. I threw down 50 and made an easy 100 bucks. But like any bet where 
I don't know from a hundred percent that I'm not gonna that I could lose it. I'm not gonna bet over like twenty bucks, just because I'm scared to lose my money. I I don't want to end up like Phil Mickelson. Have you seen the numbers on Phil? Well, you also don't have Phil Mickelson money. Well, that's very true, and I probably never will. But have you seen the amount of money that Phil Mickelson has lost? Wasn't it like $44 million? $44 million in four years. The guy has openly admitted that the only reason he still plays golf is to make gambling money. It's the only reason he still <laughs> plays. Uh, that's so funny. It's absolutely mind-blowing. I need to go get eighth so I can so I can go make right. 30K so I can go spend me, it on other let golf me, Let me get eighth, make 300 grand, and I could blow it on golf. Because I bet you I sink it in two. Uh, Justin Thomas made a bunch of money on Sunday. Because, you know, every golf tournament, the payout is high. But for a major, oh lord, that payout, I want to say it was two point two point seven million. Second place made one point six, third eight hundred and seventy thousand. Um, the guy who finished dead last, seventy eighth, Sep Stratka. Even he brought home twenty four thousand dollars. I can I can finish last every week. All you have to do is play well Thursday and Friday, make the cut, and then finish dead last. To make twenty four grand every week, that's a hundred thousand dollars a month. That's one point two million dollars a year. Sign me up. Travel the country and play below average golf, and make a bunch of money doing it it'd probably be above average golf well yeah i mean obviously the guy who finished 78th at the pga championship is worlds better than me yeah but like in the in the pga he's probably playing below average golf um yeah compared to everyone else let's see tiger well tiger withdrew so he didn't get any money um sam burns louisiana kid $191,000 $191,000 for finishing tied for 20th. That's that's a solid weekend. Uh, but yeah, $2.7 million to Justin Thomas. Not to mention 600 FedEx points, which is the PGA point system for calculating who's going to be the FedEx Cup champion at the end of the year. Golf's a crazy game, man. Anyways, hour number one, we talked about the Houston Astros falling to the Guardians 6-1 to last night. We will recap that even further with Brian LaLima in about half an hour. We've also got some college baseball to get into and some more NBA playoffs. Let's go to the hotline, 706-0111. Ralph joins us. Ralph, what's going on? Hey, Matt. I heard you talking about it, Phil, and I, I firmly believe that his gambling addiction problem, whatever you want to call it, um, is why he was so in favor of this um, 54 tour, the LIV, um, the Greg Norman slash Saudi tour, yep. because it's a it's no cut, you know, thing. And, and so every event he played in would have been a, a boatload of money, you know, and um, 
I, I really, it, it's it, it's really hard to remember a guy who was so beloved by fans and media and just as kind of darling, and 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 now has gone to, you know, done a complete one eighty. I, I, it's uh, it's kind of kind of a shame to see, but but man, he you know he has some um, some demons as we all do, but um, I hope he uh, I hope he gets it back in in, in order for sure. Yeah, you know, because you, you never want to see a, a, a you know a legend in the game just kind of you know fall by the wayside because of a, a addiction that he can't control. Because um, I mean, again, he he's even said the only reason he still plays golf is to fund his gambling addiction. Yeah, that's uh, it's it's really crazy. And you know, I read an article recently that that several of his um, playing. Partners in recent majors have uh, commented that he spent more time in between shots looking at his phone, checking on the scores of games, than he did really focusing on the golf course. And right. you know that's that's really when you got a problem. You know, so um, hopefully, I mean, he's, he's fifty-one now. He can, you know, kind of gracefully step away from the game, maybe kind of get his life in order. I mean, we've seen many. Uh, I mean, heck, Tiger overcame a, a sex addiction, really. You know. Um, to, to to come back and play and 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 uh, I don't think I mean his, at his age he just needs to and look he's got he's got the money it's not like he's going to the poorhouse and having to collect welfare right but he, but you know it's just not a good image when when he was so beloved and and um, and you see it with his sponsors dropping him like flies and really you know and I, I tell you one more thing I heard you talking about the betting and I'm I'm kind of. And you're, it's really hard for me to bet more than a few dollars at a time. But I did get together with some friends uh, this year and uh, pulled some money, and we bet bet a few Saints bets. And the, I, the most we bet was 100, and that's on the, the over for eight wins for the season. Because call me crazy, but, man, that seems like a really good number considering that they won nine games in what was to me was a season from hell last year. Right. You yeah, know? you know that that would that would probably be the one bet that I would put triple digits on. I mean, because eight wins, like you said, that's just an insanely low number with the amount of offensive firepower that the Saints have now. And and not to mention the tight end that we can't pronounce his name, right? Right. Right. <laughs> well, so thirty-five yards receiving—that's going to be the difference between. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, that 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 one guy is bringing us a Super Bowl, no question about it. Absolutely. Y'all have a good day, guys. Appreciate you, Ralph. If you want to get in on the show, seven oh six zero one one one, and here in Acadiana, watch the simulcast on Stadium thirty two point three and Channel one thirty three on LUS Fiber. I'm just I'm waiting to see. College baseball games get canceled this weekend. It, it's it's going to get to that point because by Sunday you have to have your conference champion determined. Brackets come out Monday, and that's not going to get moved around. That's not going to change. So by Sunday at midnight, every conference champion has to be decided. And if the weather is going to get in the way like it looks like it's going to, you might see some games get canceled. And it might get to the point where 
they cancel the game and the higher seed advances. Which is a crappy way to do it. But it might be the only choice that they have. So we'll see what happens there. I mean, looking at the SEC bracket, Florida and South Carolina are still in a weather delay. They still have not resumed play. Um, so, we'll, again, like I said, we'll see what happens there. Earlier today in the Sunbelt Tournament, UL Monroe taking down Georgia State 8-5. to And in the second game of the day, App State and Little Rock. It is the bottom of the third Little Rock at the plate. It is a 0-0 contest. We'll keep you updated on that with ULM's win. They will move on to play Texas State tomorrow night at 7.30. The Cajuns will play South Alabama at 4. The winner of those two games will play each other Thursday night. Going to be a fun week in Montgomery, Alabama. As a reminder, don't forget to head to our Facebook and Twitter page and check out our poll question of the day What Saints storyline are you looking forward to the most during OTAs? Is it the new rookies? Is it Juice and Badger? Is it the progress of Jameis Winston? Or is it something else? So far, 35% of you say Jameis. 29% of you say Juice and the Honey Badger. And 21% say the new rookies. James, what are you looking forward to the most? I want to see how Jameis starts looking again. Now that he did say... Uh, trying to, how did he say it? Well, if, if they had to start today, he would suit up. So I want to see how he looks now. That's what I'm most excited about. Rookies are cool. I definitely want to see Juice and Badger in a Saints Uni, but I'm just so much on board with the LASIK laser that I want to see what he looks like. And, 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 and he's finally able to throw to Michael Thomas. Yeah. We're, we're finally able to see the connection. Right. Um, it's going to be a fun summer into the fall in in Louisiana. The Saints, the Tigers, the Cajuns, it's going to be a blast. And we'll get you through it here on the game. We'll take a time out when we return. We'll dive deeper into college baseball, give you a preview of LSU's week, as well as the Cajuns and McNeese fighting for the Southland Championship. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. May 24th, 1992. Al Unser Jr. holds off Scott Goodyear to win the Indianapolis 500 by 0.043 seconds for the closest finish in Indy 500 history. Unser Jr., meanwhile, becomes the first second-generation driver to win the race. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Crunch time with me, guys, and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. It's time to talk some college baseball. Let's start with the LSU Fighting Tigers. They are preparing for the SEC tournament in Hoover, Alabama. But again, weather going to play a factor. How much of a factor? We'll see. LSU sitting as the four seed in the tournament. Yesterday at media availability, 
head coach Jay Johnson talked about what is he going to have to do to get his team to play their best at this point in the season. A model of what I would call urgency with every game that you play. That way, when you get to the postseason, it feels as normal as possible. Um, You know, when I was at Arizona early on, we talked about treating every game like it was the Super Bowl. And and, and I've kind of rephrased that to the season as a 56-game playoff. And therefore, when you get to the postseason or a playoff, you don't have to change anything in your approach. Um, And so I think for the most part, we've done a good job of that. It's impossible in the SEC to win every game that you play. Um, But I I feel confident that um, we will play focused, we'll play loose. Um, It just becomes a matter of playing good, good baseball. And so when you can simplify it to it becomes all about the play and, and the fundamentals, you're not attaching anything else to it or adding any extra baggage to what you need to go do to win. That's usually a good space to be in as a team. Jay Johnson further elaborated, you know, 37 and 18 in year one, 17 and 13 in the SEC. They reached that 17 win mark in the conference, which is what a lot of people view as, you know, the the threshold for being able to host a regional. Can you win 17 games in your conference? So through all of that, through the 55 games being 37 and 18, what has Jay Johnson learned about his team? You know, we really, when I I came here, I felt like um, the mindset piece in in my observations in the fall, the biggest thing that we needed to work on was improving mindset and, and I don't say controlling it, but uh, growing up, maturing. And um, I think it was really evident this weekend that uh, our players were in a really good headspace. And I think that's something they'll have to continue to be as you go into the postseason. I've promised them if they would continue to improve on that, um, that we would be very difficult to deal with or or beat this time of year. And that obviously um, was the case last weekend, but that doesn't guarantee anything this week. And the nature of baseball is so different that, um, you know, consistency is hard to come by, especially when you're playing great opponents. And, you know, you look at our, our bracket, the one guarantee that we have is we're playing great opponent in any game that we play this week. Dylan Cruz yesterday was named SEC co-player of the year. And Jay Johnson was was asked about that, asked about the sophomores, you know, outstanding season. I mean, a three a batting average above 350 for most of the season, finished the regular season at 345. 76 base hits, 8 doubles, 4 triples, 21 homers, and 67 RBIs. A slugging percentage of 705 on the year. Just unreal numbers from the sophomore. And Jay Johnson was asked if Dylan Cruz met his expectations. Yeah, I'd say actually probably exceeded it. You know, there's a lot of reasons why I was interested in taking this job you know, for the long term, but in the short term, my first and only question for Scott Woodward was, is, does he have two years left? Like, is he a draft eligible sophomore or not? Because uh, remember him as a young high school player when he was 15, right about the time he committed to LSU, 
you could easily see the the special talent, the strength, the bat speed, how good and quality the swing was. So really not surprised, you know, with the high expectations of it. I think probably the thing that I'm most impressed with or pleased with about him is the caliber of character he has, the type of teammate he is uh, that equals or exceeds the baseball talent. Dylan Cruz was asked in the same post in the same press conference how honored he was to receive the award for SEC Co-Player of the Year. No, it means everything to me. It's 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 awesome to be recognized as that. I mean, I I just can't thank uh, my family and uh, my coaches enough for this for this uh, awesome accomplishment. I mean, I don't know where I'd be without them. So I'm very thankful and very blessed. Meanwhile, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns will start their quest for a regional tomorrow, 4 p.m. in Montgomery, as they will play the number five seed, South Alabama. This is a team, South Alabama, the Cajuns played them once already. They had a three-game series with them at home in March. Louisiana won the first game 5-4 to four in 11 innings. They fell back Saturday, lost 6-5, to five, and then responded with a 6-3 win on Sunday. And at the time, South Alabama was peeking in at the top 25. Uh, so it was a big series win for the Cajuns, and now they're going to look to kind of have some repeat success against the Jags, one of their biggest baseball rivals. We'll dive into that tomorrow. Jay Walker will join us before the tournament gets underway to break down you know, the tournament as a whole and what the Cajuns are going to have to do if they want to have a shot at the postseason. So again, 4 p.m. tomorrow against South Alabama in Montgomery. Lastly, McNeese fighting their way through the Southland Tournament this past weekend, taking down Incarnate Word 12-6, to then getting Nichols 8-4 to before getting Incarnate Word again 7-2. to In the process, Justin Hill becomes McNeese, McNeese's winningest head coach, surpassing the late great Tony Robichaux. On the other side of the bracket, Southland did an interesting thing this year. They played half the bracket in McNeese, half the bracket at Southeastern and Hammond. So on the other side, Southeastern fell behind early 6-5 to to Texas A&M Corpus Christi, but then rebounded with a 12-4 win over HBU and then a 18-11 win over Corpus Christi, a 25-4 win over Southeastern, and then a 4-3 win over, over UNO again on Sunday. So now the championship series will be this weekend. McNeese, Southeastern, number one, number two, Hammond, Lake Charles, Louisiana State rivalries, however you want to put it. Thursday at 6, Friday at 6, Saturday at 6, if necessary, the three games will take place at Joe Miller Ballpark. James, you got three Louisiana teams, South Louisiana teams, fighting for a spot in the postseason. How many of them do you see making the postseason? Mm. So it's obvious LSU is going to make it. I was going to say, whether, yeah, whether they host or not, it's obvious they're going to make it. Yeah, one and there's definitely one. McNeese is probably going to have to win the conference championship to make it, and then you got Louisiana, who is sitting at 59 in the RPI, which is not great. Um, that, that's definitely not a place you want to be. 
considering only the top 64, 64 get in. And if you slip up and fall in your conference tournament, you know, you might, it might even paint an even tougher picture for you. Uh, Louisiana is going to have, probably going to have to win the conference tournament, if not make it to the finals to have a shot. Now, I did see a projection today that had LSU hosting with Arizona, which could be interesting because Jay Johnson coached at Arizona last year. Um, Louisiana is the three seed, and then McNeese is the four. If that's the case, that'd be easy. We could cover all three of our teams in one spot. That'd be nice and easy. Realistically, though, do you see that happening? Mm, probably not. Yeah, see, I don't either. I don't either. The only the only team I see truly see making it through is going to be LSU, unless McNeese can get the two out of three over Southeastern and, and get in as an automatic qualifier. Then I could see them getting in. But if they if they fall to Southeastern and they don't win the Southland Championship, I don't know if they have the resume to uh, to get in without a conference championship. But we'll. We'll see what happens. Uh, it's going to be a fun week of college baseball here in Louisiana. As a reminder, today is the day that you join the game clubhouse. Not only is it free to join, but you're going to get the chance to enter to win tremendous free gifts, like a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House or a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou. The only way to score those gift certificates is by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free and it's simple, super simple. So go sign up today. Take a time out. Brian Lalima of Apollo HOU will join us on the other side. It's time to go to the moon on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Fly me to the moon. That's driven deep to left center field. Garner is going back. Looking up. See you later. See you later. See you later. Astros headed back to the World Series. Minkus and Nash are ready to launch into all things Houston Astros. Here is to the moon on Crunch Time with Minkus and Nash. Mr. Brian Lalima of Apollo HOU joins us for To the Moon. Brian, what's going on, my man? How are you? I'm good, guys. How we doing? How we doing? Man, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm ready to watch the Astros win a game tonight. Yeah, hopefully after last night. I mean, let's get back on the winning track, right? Well, you know, I was going to bring this up. The last time that we did this interview, last Tuesday, we, we, we sat down with Dez. The Astros got five home runs in an inning and won 13-4. to four. Yeah, let's let's not say that out on the air because that's just going to pump Dez up a little more than than we would like. So uh, <laughs> we'll give all credit to the Astros on that one. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no doubt about it. So let's let's talk about last night's game, the six-one loss to the Guardians. You know, Tristan McKenzie did a really good job of slowing down Houston's offense. What what was your vantage point? What did you see? Yeah, you know, over the last couple of weeks you've had guys you've had Perez with the Rangers you had Nick Pavetta for uh the Red Sox and then last night we saw it from the Guardians sometimes 
for some reason, the Astros just like to make guys in the big leagues look like absolute studs, and we saw it again last night. Uh, I don't know, man. I just think I think when it comes to the lineup, Dusty Baker is still trying to figure out um, who he's going to want in center field later on down the road. Where are you going to put Bregman? Where does Brantley fall in? Jordan, so forth and so on. Um, and yeah, they, they the Guardians just took it to the Astros. Now again tonight, this is the lineup that I would like to see that they have. You know, a lot of people here in Houston like to call it the the death lineup or whatever you want to call it, but it's. It's what's come out. It's Altuve, Brantley, Bregman, Alvarez, Gurriel, Tucker, Pena, McCormick, and then obviously uh, Marty Maldonado. But yeah, I think it's just it's just a matter of what's the lineup, what's the best lineup that fits for Dusty Baker going forward. Do we see Bregman continuing to stay in the three hole? Does Kyle Tucker get some at bats in the two hole? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But you just got to give credit where credit's due, and that's what happened uh, with the Guardians last night. Yeah, no, no question about it. Looking ahead to tonight, Framber Valdez going to be on the bump for the Astros. Zach Plazak on the bump for the Guardians. How do you like this pitching matchup for Framber? Oh, I love it. I love it. Plazak is, is, you know, he's not having a really good start to his year. Um, you know, he's got a – he walks, a, you know, he walks a little too much. Um, he's got a whip of 1.34 from the notes that I have that I wrote for this segment. Um, an ERA almost at five, and then you look at Framer Valdez, and he's got a, a, a sub-three ERA. He's got a whip of 1.26. Now, obviously, we know with Framer Valdez, and we've said it a couple times here on the To the Moon segment, you know, what Framber are you going to get, right? Is it going to be where he doesn't have control uh, of some of his pitches? If he can't locate the fastball, misses with the slider, are we going to see Framer Valdez that looks like a damn near a Cy Young candidate? Is he going to go seven strong uh, and dice kids up left and right? But as far as the matchup, Framber versus Plezak, yeah, I, I take Framber in this all day. Chat with Brian Lalima here on To the Moon. Brian, where's Jake Odorizzi at? I mean, I saw a tweet earlier today saying that he was he was throwing um, throwing from a bullpen. Um, yeah. What, what's his yeah. injury status? Where's he at? Uh, so the last I heard, which was I don't know, twenty minutes ago, he threw twenty five pitches um, off of a uh, in a little bit of a bullpen off of a mound. I mean, what a what a, a break for not just Jake Odorizzi, but the Astros, um, and more so Jake Odorizzi because he really turned his season around with three uh, quality outings after two rough ones. Um, it looks like he's going to continue to progress slowly, but from everything I've read and heard, there's a really good chance that the Astros will get him back before the All-Star break. He's going to go out on a rehab uh, assignment here in the next week or so. Man, just it's it's a it's a bullet that was dodged completely because everybody. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the video and people that are listening to this. I'm sure everyone saw him collapse coming off of the mound because he said he heard a lot loud pop. You thought it was the Achilles that ruptured, but it's not. I mean, just just what a what a uh, a welcoming sight to see him already back up thrown on a bullpen, even if it was 25 pitches. Yeah, no, definitely definitely a, a lucky break for the Astros and staying on the pitcher injury conversation. What have you heard about Lance McCullers? Where is he at in his recovery? Uh, He threw some pitches the other night at Minute Maid Park. I believe it was from uh, the front of the mound. So probably right around 55 feet. Uh, I think it was like 30 pitches or so. He's going to, going to progress slowly. Um, You know, he's, he's continuing his, to ramp up is, is the term that uh, the Astros general manager, James Click, he's ramping up his throwing, 
which is 30 pitches. I think it was from 55 feet. Um, that's really about it. It's just that he's ramping up and he's and he's progressing slowly, um, uh, slowly but surely towards a return. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him until after the All Star break, um, and especially I mean if the starters continue to throw like they're doing and you get Jake Odorizzi back. Um, yeah, I don't see why you rush him, why you rush McCullers back. So it's slow, it's slow and steady wins the race when it comes to LMJ. Right. Yeah, no doubt about it. When he does come back, where do you see him fitting? Because, like you just said, you know the the pitching rotation has been throwing pretty well, but with with a guy like Lance McCullers, I mean, that's a guy you make room for. So you know who who kind of gets the short end of the straw in that one. I would say Jose Urquidy. I think if you look at the Astros starters, again, if, if Dusty Baker wants to stay with a six-man rotation, and if you do want to implement Lance McCullers back into the starting rotation, with when Lance McCullers is healthy and he's dialed in, he's one of the deadliest pitchers in all of Major League Baseball. He's got upper velocity. He's got movement. He's got a, a, a nasty curveball-slider combination. Obviously, we know the change-ups there. So if you do implement Lance McCullers back into the rotation – I think it's going to be Jose Urquidy, which we see go back into the bullpen uh, and kind of have a role that Christian Javier had. Because with Urquidy, he pitched well the other night, but that's against the Rangers, and he notoriously dominates the Rangers. Other teams, he doesn't. He's kind of inconsistent. So you compare him to all of the other starters, like Luis Garcia and Framber and obviously Justin Verlander and even Odorizzi. I think Urquidy gets the short end of the stick, if you want to call it that, and he goes into a bullpen role, which, you know, like I said, he might have uh, a job like Christian Javier, throw three or four innings if needed. If not, get two quality innings out of him, get it to guys like Stan Ignaris, um and, and Ryan Presley and the rest of those guys at the back end. So, yeah, I think it's going to be uh, Jose Urquidy. Chatting with Brian Lalima here on To the Moon on Crunch Time with me, Gaz and Mesh, 103.7 Lafayette, one zero four one. Lake Charles. Brian, how impressed have you been with Justin Verlander? I mean, a 1.22 ERA. The guy looks like he's, you know, gotten 15 years younger after Tommy John. <laughs> I tweeted this out the other night when he had a no hitter going into the eighth inning. He's like a fine wine. He just gets better with age. I can't. Everyone knows the competitor and the consummate professional that Justin Verlander is. But I really don't think anyone predicted that he could come back and be so dominant once again a year or two or a year and a half or whatever it was with the Tommy John surgery um, because you got to mix in the COVID year and then the full year last year, so about a, what, a year and a half, I'd say. But for him to be 39 years old and to have his fastball back up in the upper 90s, sitting in like 96, between 96 and 98, and controlling games like he does, I mean, it's just nasty stuff. I mean, Justin Verlander is on a pace to win another Cy Young. And that's another take. I don't even call it a hot take. I think it's he's leading the Cy Young race right now. I know we're in May, about to be in June. But if it continues, Justin Verlander is going to win another Cy Young. And he'll be 39 or 40. I can't remember when he turns 40. But he'll be one of the older guys to, to win the Cy Young. He's just nasty, man. Well, I mean, you can't say enough good things about Justin Verlander in this rotation. Yeah, it's just so crazy because, you know, I was a fan of bringing him back this year, but it was it was one of those things where I thought that, you know, he would he would start a game here and there, most more times than not be a bullpen guy, but he has just taken the ace role 
right back in this rotation and has just dominated all year long. Yeah, Pete, one thing that you, that's a good point that you brought up about him being re-signed. People don't talk about that enough and about the moves that James Click and, and uh, Jim Crane made to bring him back, obviously because it was overshadowed by losing Carlos Correa. But to bring back Justin Verlander and have him be the head of your rotation and to just have that veteran leadership and consummate professional guy in your clubhouse does wonder for all of the young guys that are on this staff. And then on top of that, to have him dominating teams like he like we've come to know of Justin Verlander, especially when he's been with the Astros, it's a huge win. A huge win. James Click and Jim Crane don't get enough credit for bringing him back. And, and I don't think a lot of people thought that he was going to be back. And they got him back, and he, he returns to, to form like no one really – no one also really thought that he would come right back, just like you said. Yeah, he might. I thought, personally, I thought he would be able to, to have what he did, but I thought he would be on an innings limit. I thought he'd be on a pitch count just because of the Tommy John. But, man, throw all that out the window and let the horse run. All right, Brian, I got a couple more for you. Uh, this one's college baseball related. We're getting into the postseason of college baseball. Who's your team? Who do you like? Oh man, um, I love Tennessee, man. They are. I what is it? Tony Vitello. Yeah. Right. I'm, make sure I don't mispronounce his last name. Um, I love what he's doing down there. I think they've got the pitching to get it done. What's the kid's name that throws 103 on midweek games? Oh, um, yeah. I man. Sorry, I don't mean to put you on the spot. It, it, it drew a blank in my mind. But anyways, if you got if you got guys like that throwing 103 on your midweek games. I mean, you've got enough. Um, I just the SEC is so loaded, and now of course you can't count out teams like uh, Texas A&M has made a, a nice little run here as of late. Texas Tech has made a nice run over in the Big Twelve. TCU, I think, won the the, the title, um, the the regular season title in the in the Big Twelve. Um, who am I missing? Uh, yeah, I just. Those are just the local teams that I that I've kept up with this year. Uh, nationwide, I don't know who, who. I'll turn it back to you. Who who is your favorite? I mean, Tennessee's number one, and I mean they're number one for a reason. But I think the team that a lot of people aren't talking about is Southern Miss. Dude, those Golden Eagles in Hattiesburg, they they've got it together, and they've got the number ten RPI in the country for a reason. And I I think they could make some noise. Going like into it. going into the, in June in the regional, I like it, man. I like hearing about uh, you know smaller schools, mid majors, if you will, uh, trying to make a run. Anything can happen in, in these in these regionals. I mean, you get a a strong team that loses their first game in pool play, and and then next thing you know, they're they're you know fighting for their life, and you've got these uh, teams like Southern Miss. Um, who knows? Maybe a team out of the Pac twelve might up upset somebody or or like a team like a louisiana tech or even a team i know a team that's been putting barrels on baseball all year is texas state out out in uh san marcus that's another team that could make a a a nice little run so i'm excited man um you know regionals are right around the corner then the college world series is going to be here i'm uh, i'm pretty pumped man baseball's back and I'm, i'm excited for it yeah we know all too well about texas state around here they swept the cajuns three games to none just a couple weeks ago so you guys know it right there. There oh, you yeah. go. Um, Brian, before you go, man, tell me about this Facing Nolan, the Nolan Ryan documentary that's coming out today. Uh, so Facing Nolan um, is by far one of the best documentaries 
I have ever seen. One of the best sports documentaries I have ever seen. Bradley Jackson is is the director. We got to sit down with him um, on our Beyond the Diamond podcast. You can check that out on our uh, Apollo Podcast Network on YouTube at Apollo HOU. Um, it is, uh, man, you learn so much about Nolan. That's the best part about the documentary is you learn so much about Nolan Ryan. I'm not going to spoil it, but there's an award that Nolan Ryan never won that I never thought of. You, you think about all the strikeouts. You think about over 300 games won. You think you, you hear some of the stories about how he pitched over. Uh, he pitched a full uh, nine innings, then two innings and extra innings, and then he he turns around a couple days later and throws another complete game. I mean, just all the all the crazy stuff that you hear uh, about Nolan, and then you learn just so much. It's a it's a a, a one night premiere only, which is tonight. It's in uh, it's in over 800 theaters, uh, you know, nationwide. If you can get out and see it, take full advantage of it. I coach a 12U Banditos team, and almost all of my 12-year-old kids are going to watch it, and they weren't even alive. They weren't even born yet right. when Nolan is. But, but the, uh, you know, the, the legend precedes itself with Nolan Ryan. One of the best I've ever seen, honestly. Got to go check it out. So for, for somebody who couldn't make it to the theater tonight, are they going to make it available to the public maybe later this year? Yeah, later this year it's going to be out on some streaming services. They don't know exactly which streaming services just yet. I don't want to, uh, you know, put out any right, right. Uh, misinformation about which streaming services, but it will be available on some stream, streaming services later on this year. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, man, it's, it's, it's a top-notch documentary. They did a hell of a job with it. Man, I'm looking forward to it. Brian Lalima of Apollo HOU joining us here on To The Moon. Brian, appreciate you as always, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, my friend. All right, sounds good. You guys take care. Tune in next week for another edition of To The Moon here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. They could debate who should win the MVP, but they'd rather argue who has the best hair in sports talk radio. We just wash the hair. You know, I work on my hair a long time, and you, and you hit it. It hits my hair. Now back to more of the stylish crunch time with Miguez and Mash here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Houston Astros will look to bounce back tonight against the Cleveland Guardians. Listen to all the action right here on the game. First pitch set for 7-10. Guardians and Astros baseball live from the juice box right here on the game. Crunch time with me guys in Mesh, 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Got a couple more minutes before we get out of here on your Tuesday. Our guys over at Boot Crew Media made a lunch table graphic of Louisiana icons. And it asks, which table are you sitting at? So table one is Drew Brees, Lil Wayne, and Emeril. Table two is Jameis, Zion, and Richard Simmons. Table three is Cam Jordan, Leonard Fournette, and Choppa. Table four is Juvenile, OBJ, and Buddy D. Table five is Burrow, CP3, and Louis Armstrong. And table six is Kamara, Ingram, and Boosie. James, where are you sitting? I'm probably gonna go with table one. I mean, you get it all. You got you get to talk football with Drew. You get to talk rap and music with Lil Wayne, and then you get to talk about food and and culinary with Emerald. I mean, you get all the above. That's very true. 
That's very true. And I mean, Drew, how do you not want to have a conversation? That's what I'm saying. Who doesn't want to talk to Drew? Yeah. Who? But then again, I also want to talk to Zion. I also want to talk to Joe Burrow. You also want to talk to Richard Simmons? I don't want to talk to Richard Simmons. (laughs) I want to talk to Boom and Zoom. Like, can I spend five minutes at each table? (laughs) Like, can I just bounce around? Kind of like a speed dating type thing? You look like a poser. Hey, bro. Poser that can't ride a bike, right? <laughs> hey, you said it on me. Oh man, what are you? What are you doing tonight? What are you looking forward to in in the world of sports? I am in, I am intrigued to see how the Mavs do. I think they'll win, but I want to see how the game plays out. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm intrigued to see that as well. Uh, tonight's movie night at the Miguez house. We're uh, we're showing up at the. We're gonna be at the Top Gun premiere Thursday night, and my fiance has not seen the first Top Gun, so we're gonna we're gonna sit down and, and watch the first Top Gun tonight before we go to the movie on Thursday. So getting some movie snacks, got some popcorn, got some M and M's. Gonna have a good night. Probably keep up with the basketball game on my phone. See what see what Luca can do. I'm going 40, 15, and 10 for Luca. I want to take this opportunity to thank Chris Murphy of the PGA Tour and the Action Network for joining us to talk PGA Tour. Brian LaLima of Apollo HOU for joining us for To the Moon this week. Again, the Astros tonight right here on the game. Tomorrow, Who Dat Wednesdays with Brendan Ertle. Cajun's Corner a day early with Jay Walker. We're going to have some fun. Come back tomorrow for Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on The Game. For James Mesh, I am Matt Miguez saying be safe, be well, give a hug to your mom and them. A little tighter today. And we'll talk to you tomorrow on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.